You're listening to The Doctor's Companion, brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. to another episode of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And we are from MindRobber.net, the home side of MindRobber Productions, where we talk about all of the things on podcasts, uh, specifically this one, The Doctor's Companion, where we talk about uh, Doctor Who and our flagship podcast, The Mind Robbers, where we talk about everything else. And then there's also our spinoff podcast, The Mind Robbers Versus, where we pick a show that we like uh, and we break it down episodically. Um, a lot like, uh, what we do here, only on a much, uh, less significant basis. Uh, right now we're doing the Mind Robbers versus Batman the Animated Series. So if you like Batman the Animated Series, you should be listening. Uh, if you like our shows, you can review them on iTunes. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, or any other sort of cool thing you might feel like sharing, you can email those thoughts to us at podcast at mindrobber.net. And if you want to start a discussion, you should go to the comments on mindrobber.net and uh, leave one. And then uh, everyone will know what you're thinking. And most of all, if you listen and you like us, tell other people who also like Doctor Who and you think might like us. Uh, and uh, tell them they should be listening because uh, it's helpful. It's helpful. Matt, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, we watched the Leisure Hive or the we- Leisure Hive. Um, <laughs> leisure. I prefer leisure. I know. I love that word. Uh, good times. Um, so uh, you you hinted to me while I was watching this that you had lots of things to say about the background and significance of this episode, which actually surprised me um, for a lot of reasons, which we'll go into later. Um, but what is the background and significance for the Leisure Hive? The Leisure Hive. Yes, the Leisure Hive. Um... Uh, the Leisure Hive is the first story of season 18 of Doctor Who. Um, for those playing score at home, this is the first story that was ever produced by John Nathan Turner. Um, so this is him coming in, stepping in after Graham Williams departs, um, cause he had three seasons and was just like, well, I'm done. Um, so John Nathan Turner comes in. He was a, uh, he was an assistant actually and was promoted to producer. Um, and Which so is this is crazy. Uh, yeah, I think he worked his way up a little bit farther than that, but um, uh, okay. Yeah, he was an assistant going back to um, uh, some like Hinchcliffe Holmes stories, but he'd been in Doctor Who for a while, and he was the guy who was, I guess, their choice to be producer. But he hadn't produced anything before, so what they did is they brought in an executive producer named Barry Letts, who you might remember from uh, the Third Doctor. Um, mm. Yeah, so Barry Letts is the executive producer for season eighteen. Um, and oversaw all of John Nathan Turner uh, just to make sure that Nathan Turner would be good out the gate. And then, who is script editing at this point? 
This is uh, a script edited by Christopher H. Bidmead, who is the uh, script editor for season 18 and then walked away. Bidmead, you might know for writing Castrovalva, Logopolis, and Frontios, um, who I actually, I, I used to I used to not be a huge fan, but the more I study him, the more I look into him, I'm, the more I'm really interested in him um, and really trying to get him to figure out, because I think he's a very smart dude. Um, it's just, I don't, I don't always get him. Um... So it's this first. It's the first uh, attempt for Nathan Turner to do something new with Doctor Who to show what he can do. This is the first time the Starfield logo has been seen um, with the what I now know as the Davison. Um, uh, sorry, <coughs> the Davison uh, uh, opening credits. This is the introduction to that. Mm-hmm. It's also written by David Fisher, who had previously written um, Stones of Blood and. Uh, the Androids of Terra for the Key to Time season. He also was the f- guy who came up with the story for City of Death, which was written, to, which was rewritten and rewritten by Graham Williams and Douglas Adams uh, to be one of the best Doctor Who stories ever. And he also did a story called Crucial from the Pit. Um, Nathan Turner, when he comes in, decides that he doesn't want to use the same writers over and over and over and over again. So he brings in Fisher because he didn't have a um, any other options, and he didn't have a script editor at this point. So he was just like he brought in a guy who had had a lot of Doctor Who experience, who would come in and write something. Uh, Fisher, being known primarily for his comedy and his children's stylings, uh, wrote something that was very comedic and very funny. Um, and then Nathan Turner was just like, "Yeah, we're not doing that." So had all of the comedy removed from the script. Um, <laughs> Not joking when I say that, Um, which is why this story is not funny at all. Um, Except it is. Except it is. Except it is. Um, So there's so there's that on one hand. And on the other hand, this is directed by Lovett Bickford. Um, Why don't you know the name Lovett Bickford? Because Lovett Bickford made such a goddamn expensive Doctor Who story that Nathan Turner was just like, well, we can never have this guy back because Bickford was like, okay, instead of shooting Doctor uh, he, Doctor Who was shot in two two week two day productions. So basically, what they would do is they would go into the studio, they'd shoot for two days, then they'd have two weeks off, and then they'd come in and shoot for two more days, and that's how they would shoot the whole episode. They shoot the whole episode in four, the whole story in like four days. Um, and they shoot an episode. Wow. In a day. This no, this is how all of Doctor Who was ever produced. Wait, wait, two two. They would come in for two days, and they would shoot how many episodes in those two days? Two episodes worth of material. So, 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 an episode a day, basically, yeah. So, a twenty-minute episode each day. Yeah, that is insane. You didn't know that? That's how no. all of Classic Who was produced. No, I had no idea. That's how that worked. Yeah. All of Classic <sighs> Who was produced in single-day episodes. Um. So they, so they work two days, and then get two weeks off. Yeah, well, what used to happen, and during this was during the Hartnell era, um, Hartnell and Troughton specifically before Barry Letts, is they would um, they would shoot an episode on a Saturday, and um, they would rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Basically, they'd shoot it like multicam sitcoms are shot nowadays. Um, they would rehearse, 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 rehearse all week, and then they would just have one day where they basically slammed out twenty five minutes of television. Um, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, so that, then what, all right, that, I understand that now. Okay, yeah. that's so then good. what would that's happen good. is when Barry Letts took over is um, instead of doing that, what Letts decided was let's book two days instead. We'll not worry about tearing down the sets as much. It will re- reduce wear and tear on sets. So we'll just leave the sets up overnight. We'll just do two days in a row and then take two weeks off and rehearse all those two episodes and then just shoot for two more days. Um, 
So that was the thing that Barry Letts introduced with John Pertwee. So they were shot in two-day recording blocks every two weeks. Um, that's, that was how Doctor Who was shot um, for basically until it was canceled in 1989. That seems um, like such a counterproductive way to shoot. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, that was their cheapest way of shooting. Like, you just get your camera guys in for two days and just do it. Like, yeah, I guess just, so. Just insane. Like that's how that's how cheap. Doctor then I guess you don't produce. need to. You don't need your crew for long. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. You're only yeah. paying your crew for yeah. two days. Then. Well, the other thing that's crazy is that um, the BBC was run through a through an operating center, and I, I apologize if I don't get this exactly right, but it's not the details that are important so much as the overall idea. It the the way that all these people were produced is it's all produced by a crew that would not work overtime. So. You hit six o'clock or eight o'clock or whatever time quitting time was, everyone leaves and you're done. So like if you ever watch behind the scenes footage of Caves of Androzani, they're shooting up to like two minutes before the bell rings and everyone has to go home because they cannot shoot anymore. Um, wow. Like it's insane that they got this whole show done. So what Lovett Bickford did is Lovett Bickford requested a third day of shooting and Lovett Bickford was like, let's do really exact, really exciting movie shots. Like, let's do big tracking shots. Let's do, let's do, um, uh, a bunch of different angles. Let's do, let's shoot a lot of coverage. Let's do all this stuff. Lovett Bickford shoots, it requests a third day to be shot. Still can't get it all done in three days. They need to do a fourth day on the second recording block. So, causes a lot of expenditures, makes everything run behind schedule, and Lovett Bickford is never hired again for Doctor Who. Um, Such a bummer, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, yeah. like, I don't have a lot of nice things to say about the Leisure Hive, but mm-hmm. it looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is some of the best camera work I've ever seen on Doctor Who. Yeah, short of this side of Graham Harper and Douglas Canfield. Um, it, It's really, really well shot, but at the same time, <laughs> they couldn't afford it, so he was never brought back, regardless of the quality he was bringing. Um, cause they just couldn't afford him. They just couldn't afford to have overruns. They just can't afford it. Um, yeah. and if they ran out of stuff to do every day, like, cause they have to shoot a certain amount of coverage and, and footage that they need. If they ran out of time on that, they, uh, they were just, they were SOL. They just couldn't get that footage. Um, done, done. Uh, that's why shot is incomplete. So yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's background and significance on, uh, on, uh, the leisure hive. Also, um, also worth noting that uh, Tom Baker and uh, this is Tom Baker's last season. It's also right before Romana leaves. Um, she leaves about in a couple stories. And then this is also their attempt to uh, write out K-9 for the first time, mm-hmm. which wasn't really a write out so much as John Nathan Turner was just like, hey, I don't like K-9. Let's just kill him because uh, <laughs> he thought it was really expensive and was just like, eh, it's a thing that people will enjoy. Um, that was so dramatic. <laughs> That was so dramatic. <laughs> also, for a super smart, uh, for a super smart robot dog, shouldn't it know better than to go in the water? You'd think so. You'd yeah. think so. All right. Well, before we continue, this is a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades.com, where you can purchase any paperback, hardcover, omnibus, or absolute comic book collection. Uh, at 35 to 45% off, plus new release specials are 50% off every week, every Wednesday. And remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. So thanks to InStockTrades.com. All right, so uh, the Leisure Hive, um, 
basically what happens is the doctor and and Romana are on a beach and Romana's bored and the doctor's sleeping and enjoying the uh the time off um and it's very it's very much it, it like more than I think more than any Doctor Who uh classic Who story since uh since uh probably um the uh spearhead from space mm-hmm. this feels like a season premiere yes um which was when you sa- I didn't know it was a season premiere like when you said it's a season premiere I was like oh of course it is yeah um cuz you have like the really dramatic moment where you see Tom Baker's face for the first time and it's just it's very much like hey look your friends are back it's that kind of thing yeah and they're um, playing with ball or they're playing with like a giant beach ball they've been on summer vacation <laughs> just like you yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 um so it's uh i like all that um quite a bit and uh what ends up happening is Romana's bored she she doesn't like this whole She's like, she's like, you know, I, I'm not against being on being on holiday or vacation, but, uh, uh, you know, I'd like it to be a little more interesting than just uh, walking around on a beach. And the doctor's like, all right, fair enough. Do you have any ideas? She's like, well, I've heard about this leisure hive thing. Uh, I think we should go check that out. And he's like, all right, sure, whatever, let's go. Uh, so they go and then, um, the, the story very quickly devolves into a story about, um, the, this, this war or like this, this war that's been over, I think like the war is over, but the, these two species still hate each other. Um, and the species are the, uh, the, 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 the people that run the leisure hive, um, and then the uh, what are they called? The there there are golems, are the people who are broccoli heads, and the Fomasi right. are giant lizards. Right, right. The Fomasi, which are which are they're they're mafioso, um, and <laughs> uh, they're like alien mafioso. They're even uh, anagram of mafioso, um, and it's it's about like their interaction with each other, and then also like one of the broccoli head guys. Uh, well, the whole species, they've like sort of invented this this thing that they think is going to be sort of a key to like the Fountain of Youth. So you get this sci-fi Fountain of Youth story as well. Um, the doctor uh, agrees to uh, try the thing out and it turns him into an old man for like two two episodes, um, three episodes. Uh, yes. And uh, which is really great old man makeup. I got to give him that. Mm-hmm. Really great. I think they spent all their budget on the on the old man makeup because when the Fomasi show up, oh boy. <laughs> like, here's the thing about about Dr. Classic Hoop. Everyone complains about the low production value. And I've always said that's dumb. Like, just accept it for what it is and go with it. And I always accept it for what it is. Always. Always. When the first when you saw the first Fomasi in full like full gear because they're they're hinting at their existence for like three episodes before they show up for the first time and you get to see like the full costume when the first one shows up i'm just like i'm just like why is that dude wearing a costume that was literally my first thought (laughs) my first thought was just why 
why is some guy wearing a costume? Like, what, is he a mascot or something? What's going on? And then I was like, oh, that's supposed to be an alien. Oh, man, that's bad. Oh, no, guys. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. That's the first time that's ever happened to me on Doctor Who, where it's like, where I've I've literally, my brain has broken out of the world. Because usually I'm very good at staying within the world of classic Who and just accepting everything at face value. Yes. This was the one time where I was like, where I was like, what's that guy doing in a costume? I was like, oh, that's not supposed to be a costume. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really awful. Um uh, like just cheap, really cheap looking. Yes. Um, yes. And uh I I just I think that you know, I don't have a problem with this story um so much. I think my biggest problem in it is that it has it has no business being a four-part story, and that might have a lot to do with the fact that maybe it felt more like a four-part story in the original David Fisher draft before uh John Nathan Turner cut out all the humor. Um, maybe he cut out too much and now there's just nothing here, um, to make it interesting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like it's a fine story. Like if this was just a 45 minute Davies era story, I would have no complaints. Sure. It's the fact that it's a four part classic who story that's just really runs around in circles for a lot of time. Like it's just spinning its wheels. Um, for two solid episodes of wheel spinning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the problem, I think. Well, yeah, I, I, I find I agree, but I think my the reason that I'm going to go a little bit more esoteric with it um, is because I've seen everything at this point um, and all of David Fisher. Fisher um, Fisher's interesting to me because Fisher writes uh, – I mean, how do I say this? Fisher wrote Creature from the Pit. And I know you haven't seen Creature from the Pit, but Creature from the Pit has the same problem that this has, which is that Fisher throws in a bunch of different ideas and then just kind of slowly plays them out over the course of episodes and then will resolve them early and lead to weird shifts in focus. So, like, Hmm. when you look at this episode, there's this idea that our goal is is about to be overrun by the Fomasi – and the Fomasi, uh, the Formos, the Fomasi and the Argolans used to be at war, um, right? But 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 the but they're now in an era of peace, and the Argolans are recovering from this war with this palace that they have called the Leisure Hive. Um, so there's this threat for the first like three episodes about a Fomasi invasion, are the Fomasi coming? Or, what's going to happen? And in the first five minutes of episode four, they completely resolve the Fomasi storyline. Like, it is done. Completely done. Um, and then they all of a sudden shift into a new version, into a new sequence of events, which has been successfully set up, I'll point out, which is that Pangol wants to create a massive army of Argolans. Um, but I guess based on clones of himself, I, I think. I don't remember the exact details, but he's creating a massive clone army of Argolans to conquer the Fomasi, the rest of our goal is, I don't really know exactly what doesn't matter. Cause it's foiled creature from the pit does exactly the same thing where there's this giant creature, um, called ergo Ergon or whatever. Um, and fighting against this evil witch queen. And then at the, in the first five minutes of creature from the pit episode four, that storyline is completely resolved. The queen is, defeated and then you're like well what what do we do for the next 20 minutes and then it seems like fisher creates an entirely new storyline with which to spin out creature from the pit for the next 20 minutes 
It's a very strange structure. Um, I feel like the Leisure Hive does the same thing, and it's hard to get a grasp on because you're never quite sure exactly what to focus on until you get to the end. And you're just like, well, where did this storyline come from? I thought we were dealing with the Fomasi, or if you were deal, or if you're not paying attention to the Fomasi storyline, um, uh, the Fomasi reveal at the end of episode three just feels really bizarre and out of place. Um, and I, I think I don't know exactly how to reconcile that, but I think that that's my problem with this is that it just goes in a lot of different ways, and I think that Fisher's very smart. I just think that he doesn't. It's not very clear. Nathan Turner, as a producer, does have a problem with storytelling in general, and it just kind of ends up feeling very hodgepodgey, and it doesn't have, and you don't have anything to hold on to, and then it ends. Um, and I think that that's like my perspective on it, because um, mm-hmm. it just, it just, it doesn't quite congeal the way that other stories do. Um, and I think that's a Fisher thing more than it is anything else. Uh, it's weird. It's just a mm-hmm. weird story. Um, it is. I don't think it's a bad story though. <laughs> Um, I, it's that, not, that puts you in the minority. I'll point out this is not a very well regarded story. Yeah, um, no, and I seem to be, uh, I seem to be a weird, uh, uh, forgiving Doctor Who guy on classic stuff. That's weird, right? Um, sure. <laughs> considering how hard I am on modern Who. Uh, uh, well, that 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 will not endear us to the modern Who fans who hate us. So. Yeah, I know. Um, sorry, everybody. I just don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I. Uh, I just sort of appreciate this story for like I'm sorry like I watched this and I was entertained um b- sure. based on the direction which was really impressive and uh like the ridiculous characters like the ridiculous moment when when the Fomasi uh the Fomasi guys uh, uh, translator starts working and he just starts <laughs> talking like a regular person I was like what is going on <laughs> And yeah. I was just laughing. Like, I <laughs> I, I, I was, like, m- maniacally laughing because I just – I loved that. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is what I want. This is the kind of stuff I like. <laughs> like, I don't think – I don't think all of it, like, a- a- like adds up totally. But I, I just – I think I, I enjoyed all the pieces as I was watching them, um, which I think is – like, I was never bored, I guess. Sure. And I think that that – is a real like that's one of the things that I think Fisher, if Fisher was listening to this, would really appreciate because it's clear that that's what he wants to do. Um, mm-hmm. Fisher just wants to entertain you for the moment that you're watching on screen, and if he can do that, then he's done his job. Um, and mm-hmm. I love, I love that you'd like that for this. Um, I, I can't speak for myself on that though, but I'm glad you really liked it. I was really worried you wouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, uh, no, I liked it a lot. I, uh, I mean, I mean, then again, like I would be fine with just an episode with like. Tom Baker and 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 Lala Ward just like going to Coney Island and hanging out for a couple of episodes. Like, no, without a doubt, absolutely. I, I mean, like those two guys. They're, sure, they're, and that's they're great together. Yeah, and that, that's what makes City of Death so good. Is that that's just mm-hmm. them having fun for four episodes, um, mm-hmm. with a crazy good time travel plot in the middle. Um, but you have to. I, I agree that this is um this does work for them. Also, apparently, they definitely like hooked up between seasons, and then Lala Ward was just like, mm, no, and then Tom Baker was just like, oh come on, baby, and so this was their courtship attempting to rekindle itself. Because um, <laughs> apparently, that was what was going on in the background while all of this was going down. Oh, um, so weird. 
Their relationship is so strange. Wait until we cover State of Decay. You're gonna lose your brain. You're gonna. Be like, oh, I what can't. Is I can't wait for that because that's that I hear is legendary for that. Oh, reason. it's so oh, it's so legend. It's so legend. You're what, like they literally can't look at each other in one scene and the next scene they're having like emotional. We're getting back together catharsis on screen while you're watching. It's so weird. So bizarre. <laughs> like so bizarre. Um, but no, I I, I find I agree and I like their dynamic at this point like it's a it's such a unique companion doctor dynamic because they're basically like oh these two are totally getting it on but they mm-hmm. never say that they're getting it on um, right it's it's all subtext and really layers and i love that um i mean it, i guess tom baker and lala ward don't love it in retrospect because they i don't think they've worked together even though lala ward has said that she would work together which to me says let's put them on some big finish stuff together but um I love that they have a relationship outside of the show that bleeds in and informs their characters, especially because Tom Baker is so specifically the doctor outside of real life. Like, he's totally bizarre and kooky and weird. Um, mm-hmm. I love that they inform on each other. Like, it just it makes it adds a rich layer to the show that I think can sometimes be missing when you're looking at other characters and companions and doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do like that. I do feel like it is something that I really appreciate out of these stories um, mm-hmm. with them. I'll tell you what. If they're smart <laughs> and they and they end up bringing Tom Baker back for the 50th anniversary, if they're smart, they'll they'll make him up to look like he does in the Leisure Hive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that'd be great. That'd be yeah. cool. so great. I think that'd be a really smart thing yeah. to do. Um, and like a real subtle callback. Yeah. Um, to an episode that everyone hates, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, people don't like it. Well, uh, but I, I, I find that I agree. I honestly find myself mostly bored by what happens in this story. Um, I'm just not very invested and interested. And it's one of those things where it's like, Fisher's brought in because he's comedic. I mean, this is the same guy who writes the um, the twinkly, twinkly little judge fairies in um, Stones of Blood, which I didn't love that part of Stones of Blood. But he writes those really comedic characters. The guy's clearly got a brain for for comedy. I mean, Andrews of Terror is just hilarious. Um, and then you, then you put him on the leisure hive, and it's like, then Fisher is riding on his ideas. And I don't think he has bad ideas. It's just like, you're killing a very successful point of the show just to make a point. And it's like... If you ha- if you have someone write a funny script and then remove all the funny bits, it's like what's the point of telling them to write a funny script, you know? Mm-hmm. Or what's the point of bringing them in? It's just it's so if they're if you bring in a, a writer because of their personality and their personality is funny and then that personality ends up in the script, why did you hire that writer if you didn't want that personality? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's I think the problem that I see here is honestly the other thing that I'm seeing when I watch this is seeing all the choices that Nathan Turner makes and just being like, Ooh, you can already see that, especially knowing what you know later. Mm-hmm. Like, Nathan like Tur- the, like the, like the, uh, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> question mark motif. Yes. Um, on the collar. This was its first appearance. Um, along with the, the magenta costume, uh, which, uh, Tom Baker hated. Um, and he always wanted his old costume back. He always preferred the multicolor scarf. He hated the magenta costume. And he hated the question marks, which is why when you're watching this and in later episodes, you'll notice that, like, he's never done this in the past, but, like, he keeps his collar way unbuttoned so that <laughs> so that the, the question marks on his collar are, are rarely seen. Yes. Because he hates them. He thinks they're stupid. Yes. Um, 
and I, I was watching this and I was just cackling because there's like that moment where he puts the scarf on. And he puts the scarf on and like pushing his collar, the, the corners of his collar down in the process. <laughs> um, so funny. Uh, yes. I yeah. also really liked – and this is just a weird like uh, – just like a weird moment of iconography I felt. And it's something I've never seen before but I just really liked – it just felt very iconic to me for some reason, and I don't know why, and I don't know if that's necessarily the right word, but when the Doctor is writing in chalk on the TARDIS, I loved that. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't. It's just this weird, like, tactile thing that I was like, oh, I really love that. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. I can't, I can't really explain why, but I just... No, it's it's definitely like a personality um, mm-hmm. to it. It's, it's one of those things where it's like watching them paint uh, the the TARDIS and the Happiness Patrol, where they paint it pink because blue is a sad color. Um, I love that. I love that. There's like a a a a, a, a uh, what's what's irreverence, I suppose. It, it it watching the Doctor write in chalk, watching him write on the TARDIS th- that. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like a thing that would work, and yet it kind of does. It's so mm-hmm. weird and 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 specific. I I love I love that about it. You're you're absolutely right about that, and that's it's really nice. And it is sort of like seeing Nathan Turner's irreverence from the beginning. I mean, especially with jettisoning the idea of costumes, um, or or, or re- recurring costumes. Um, is is I love I love his lack of irreverence. He goes way too far later, but uh. Seeing him start now is really interesting. And I like that, you know, I like that you have a guy who comes in as producer and comes up with a bunch of new ideas, um, regardless of whether they're good or not. I just like that he comes in, like, literally the BBC hands him a show at the height of its popularity and he just runs it into the ground. Yeah, over the course of 10 years. Yeah, um, just slowly but surely runs it into the ground. Yeah, well, and uh, and that's the thing I like about him is that he 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 just kind of has this vision, and no one's going to tell him no, and then that vision ends up crushing the show um, for a variety of reasons. But I think that like when he starts, there's there's definitely promise. Um, I like that they completely do a new credit sequence. I like that they do a new opening theme song. I like like that's so revolutionary. They completely got rid of. Have, like the 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 rendition that had been around for the past seventeen seasons, mm-hmm. they did something that was totally electronic and new. They went for a completely new style and 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 costumes, and they put they rebuilt a new. He built a new TARDIS, which is this is the first appearance of a a TARDIS with a graded roof since the early sixties. Um, mm-hmm. All of those things are really interesting. It's just interesting also seeing just the moments where you're just like, you should have no business in telling people how to do story. You should have no business in scripts. Like all those little things that he's just overstepping on. It's interesting seeing him overstep a little bit here and he'll overstep later. But also seeing all the producer things that he makes a good decision on now. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Very interesting case study and very interesting to see. And that's one of the things where it's like, I find the Leisure Hive better as a case study rather than I find it as an interesting story. Um, there's a, like, like Unbreakable, which we talked about last week on The Mind Robbers, just really interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, more Absolutely. than it is as a, as a thing. Um, yeah. just, and uh, as a result, like, I find it entertaining, you know? And it's sure, just, sure, I can, absolutely. I, I can watch it and not be bored, so. You know. Yeah, and I and I, as as you can see, it gets a lot of good discussion out from us. So yeah. I mean, yeah. that's I mean, that's those are the, those are those are like my favorite stories. So I find that I appreciate this more than I did before. Mm-hmm. But I also at the same time wouldn't put this 
Even in my favorite stories of this season, I think that Keeper of Troc and Legopolis and Warriors Gate are all better than this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but this season does have some clunkers, which is a bummer. Um, mm-hmm. Also, wanted to mention really quickly, uh, that first cliffhanger is a hell of a cliffhanger. Um, what was just... the, the Is the first one when he walks out as the old man? No, that's the second one. The first one is where he gets shredded to pieces. Um, oh, right. Yeah, and it just does that crazy zoom in on his mouth screaming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is insane. Oh, yeah. Speaking of horrifying things, uh, when the guy goes in and his arms get separated, he just starts screaming. Oh, yeah. Oh, so dark. So dark. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good, that's yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, before we wrap it up, I want to remind you that today's episode is also brought to you by DCBService.com. DCBS, the site that lets you order or pre-order all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, anything you can get from a local comic book shop. You place your orders three months in advance with monthly discount specials up to 75% off and and regular discounts at 40% off. Ship as often as you like. With orders as large or small as you like, you only pay $6.95 in flat rate shipping. So thanks to DCBService.com. Next week, the Shakespeare Code. Um, we're returning to the Tenth Doctor. Yeah, and we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do a little Shakespeare, a little Shakespeare, a little Martha yeah. Jones, a little Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's what's happening. Yes. Um, will the next uh, ebook be out then? I don't know. I think so. Actually, you know, I think it will be. If not, we'll talk about it with the Celestial Toymaker. Um, yeah, but it, we're going to be, be talking about it very shortly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very, very shortly. Um, uh, and then so on deck, on the other side of the Shakespeare Clode, like I just said, is the Celestial Toymaker, um, which God help us. Um, <laughs> God help us. Um, Tell me that's four parts, please. It's four. It's four. Oh, Don't worry. Thank it's God. Four. It's four. And the first three are missing. Um, <laughs> okay. Well. Yeah. No, you're going you're gonna to hate it. Um, oh, good. So on the other side of that, uh, so Celestial Toymaker, and then we're going to talk about the demons, which is the third Doctor story to close out. Uh, Pertwee's second season, uh, and then Dalek, which is the Eccleston mm. episode. Yeah, yeah. And then um, we're either gonna do Seeds of Death or Robots of Death. I don't know yet, depending on how we do the schedule and it comes out and whatever. Because uh, we're gonna end. Although I will say we're gonna end our classic run on Seeds of Death because um, uh, there are Ice Warriors in it, and it was coming up anyways. Like, <laughs> which. Yeah. I don't know how the hell I did that again, but um, <laughs> you keep doing this. It's amazing. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really impressive. Um, You're, uh, you have a mutant power, sir. I, I, I do, I do. I um, think we can do seeds of death without uh, messing with anything. I'm pretty sure. Sure. So, so I think, I think it's seeds of death, and um, then, uh, and then, uh, new who comes back for the back half of, of series seven, and then we will come back to uh, the robots of death. Um, yeah. leading into the summer where at some point we're going to do the key to time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is going to be something. No. Yeah. Hold. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to start out really good. It's going to start out really good and just crash and burn into a just massive, just uh pile <laughs> of, um, how do how do I say this crap? Um, <laughs> Uh, and it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. We're talking about all that. So that's, that's the, that's where we're going. Um, and again, ending on seeds of death because, uh, ice warriors. Um, Mm -hmm. and I did not plan that. Um, yeah. And for those of you don't know, maybe you don't follow that stuff. Uh, the (laughs) ice warriors are making their new who first appearance, um, in the back half of series seven. They just announced it. The BBC just announced it. So 
Yeah, just this past week. So, um, yeah. wacky. Yeah. Things to things to look forward to. So weird. Yeah. I was like, I. It took me about it took me about six hours to realize that I did that, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like just like the abominable snow. Oh my god, like yeah. I can't believe it. Um, so weird. You yeah. you have a mutant power, sir. Uh, do what I can. Uh, what I can. In the meantime, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm twitter.com slash Scott Corelli. Also, Scott Commentary, where I live tweet things from time to time. Uh, also, I recommend that you check out The Mind Robbers, which is our flagship podcast where we talk about everything that isn't Doctor Who and also our spinoff of that podcast, The Mind Robbers versus where currently we are taking a, an episodic look at Batman, the animated series. Um, both of those you can find on iTunes. Subscribe, 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 and listen, listen, listen. Uh, Matt, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Gungadin, where I tweet my thoughts. Um, also my alternate Twitter account, twitter.com slash gdcommentary, where I live tweet things like Smash, it's back! I did one. <laughs> That's so at wonderful. At least one. I, I probably have done one since this came out, another one. So you're missing out. Read about how they cancel a play because someone took bartender money to fund a Broadway musical. Um, shady please. bartender money. Shady bartender money, please. And they're now under a federal investigation because of, again, shady bartender money. So <laughs> everyone, make sure you're following me on GD Commentary because it's a blast. Um, uh, also, like Scott said, um, uh, the Mind Robbers, which I'll point out because we have Mind Robbers versus is now like – half an hour an hour shorter than it normally is i mean amazing like so good um and wonderful on my schedule um uh, also if you're interested in um uh, my thoughts on the Le- the leisure hive you can follow uh classical gallery.blogspot.com except i didn't review this one cassandra did um so if you want to find that you can find that over at classical gallery.blogspot.com also the outside in which is a book edited by robert smith which i'm in uh and is a wonderful delight so you should read it like <laughs> yes <laughs> indeed all right uh we will see you next week with uh the shakespeare code bye <laughs> code code bye bye bye, bye. bye. <laughs>